here in Los Angeles. What about it, Liam? In Los Angeles, the big, the Big Easy, the Windy Apple, the Saskatoon of the South. All of those are real names for Los Angeles. Their pizza is just depressing. It, it does lack a certain quality of taste and flavor. I... And wouldn't you know it, when I'm eating food, the two things I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. Taste and feces, because I don't want to eat feces. And then number three would be flavor. Okay. That, that No, that's a good list. Comprehensive list. Thank you. Food uh, critic, Liam Sr. And if Tom only, Lincoln? are you fucking crazy? That's literally my dream job. Just be... be... I get to eat for money. Get... I'm doing the opposite of that. You get to be like your <laughs> hero, Gordon Ramsay. Is he a food critic? He's critical of people's food. He does have opinions on food. But he's not a food critic. He gets his he's money. He's a food influencer. He gets his money through oh, through cooking. He owns like 8,000 restaurants. That's true. He also does earn a sizable paycheck starring the, in many reality 8, TV shows. 8,000 television yeah. shows where it, it's... I don't know why I could watch those shows over and over again. It's the same thing. He goes into the kitchen. Gets mad. Get Well, no, no, no. It's more than that. He walks into a restaurant and you're like, this place is disgusting to look at. And the person, but the person who owns it is like, check out how fucking red my fucking restaurant is. And then, and then Gordon's like, all right, well, like, I'm going to, I'm going to eat. I'd like to have a meal. And the chef's always like, I really think Gordon's going to like my food a lot. I, I really, I'm really confident in myself. And then you watch him like microwave a box of soup and Gordon <laughs> eats it. And he's like, it tastes like I've you've microwaved the soup. It says not microwave, not on the menu. There's yelling. There's, there's a crying, lot of stammering. And then I lose interest because then he starts helping people. And I just wish he would just yell at them. That was a that was a lot to talk about. Something that isn't this podcast up, that we did. You brought do. up Gordo Ramsfire. I did, and I really should have known better. You Liam, dummy. Uh, what do we do on this podcast when I haven't <laughs> distracted when you, you haven't with brought Gordo? Up the Golden God <laughs> Gordo Ramses, King of Egypt. On medium majors, Liam, my wonderful co-host and, and wife, my, and myself, Tom Lockney. We tell each other stories. I talk about the internet and video games. I talk about showbiz, baby. And every... Like Gordon Ramsay. Oh, fucking Jesus. And every week we center those stories around a theme. And this week the theme is a... DuckTales a bad, theme song. It's a bad trade or a raw deal. Woo! Nice. Thank you. And uh, Tom, I believe I'm going first this week, and my story's about Gordon Ramsay and how he <sighs> trained right. again. Let me turn on my laptop. <laughs> All right, this week my story is about loot boxes. Chapter one, loot great. <laughs> Bazinga. Humans have always loved to collect things, little trinkets and tchotchkes. Here in your room, you have a Sonic Youth tape. You don't own a tape player, but... This was a gift, and you thought, you know what, that would look good on my wall. It adds a little flair to the room. We humans just love to do that. It brings peace to the mind. I have Pokemon figurines glued to my keyboard. Yeah, and it looks really cute. God, I love it so much. Video games are much the same. They always have been. Play a game, acquire loot. For a very long time, that meant beating bosses, accomplishing tasks, etc. And then... In 2007, the Chinese free-to-play MMORPG ZT Online devises a new way for players to acquire loot. 
A number of locked chests would be available to the player, and in exchange for real-world currency, they could obtain the keys to open each chest. What was inside? Friendship. Treasure. Love. It was, well, maybe it was one of those things. Maybe it was all of them. Maybe it was none of them. Because maybe. these chests were random. Oh, no. Exactly. You didn't know what you were getting, and that was the point. Oh, it's it's a Fuddruckers menu. This is the first recorded loot box business model that I could find, and it would not be long before others followed suit. Chapter Team Fortress 2. Nice. Valve's popular title, Team Fortress 2, prominently features cosmetic loot, most notably its hats. People love these hats, baby. With in-game hats. In-game hats. They That's don't right. offer any, like, stat bonus or anything, but, like, sometimes you wear a banana peel on your head or some bullshit like that. It's, it's yeah, there's, there's an entire economy based around these things because folks acquire them and then trade them for extremely large sums of money. In 2010, Valve shifted from a pay-once to a free-to-play module, adding loot crates in the process. This throws the internal trading economy of Team Fortress 2 into chaos, but it's a chaos that eventually settles into ludicrous profit for both Valve and savvy traders. Luda. It was estimated in 2011 by analyst Paul Manwaring... <laughs> Good. That was what a what a, That's a stellar name. A succinct, brief name. I'm Paul Manwaring. Manwaring, you already know everything you need to know about me. I'm a female <laughs> pacifist. Paul Manwaring estimates that the trading economy of Team Fortress 2 was worth conservatively fifty million dollars. So that's that. By the way, that's not like profits going to Valve. That's just like revenue exchange between uh, relevant parties buying and selling hats on this market. But where do those hats come from? They have to purchase them from Valve. It's not clear how many hats are being like flipped regularly. There isn't a lot of like concrete data about what is going on in, in, the, in the like black market of Team Fortress 2. Lots of very weird stories come out of that scene. So now, we all know that where there's profit, there's the start of a trend. After being the first Western game to implement a free-to-play loot box model, Team Fortress 2 is followed by nearly every single MMO, basically. It, this model is everywhere now. If, if, if you're making an MMO, you're making it with loot boxes in mind at this point. It's, it's 2017, and that's just, like, the reality of it. And in 2012... Loot boxes break into pay-once retail games. Mass Effect 3 is the first, offering loot boxes in its multiplayer mode. Uh, and then games like Battlefield, Overwatch, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, Call of Duty, and Halo all follow. It, like, that's the big thing, is like a lot of these things are purely cosmetic. Yeah, some games you get a gun that, that ha does more damage or shoots better or whatever you want. Uh, but a lot of the times it's just like, yep, it's it's my third time getting this one green and blue diva skin or something. Or like, like this really whack pose of Tracer's butt. Uh, this is quietly accepted, this this boxification <laughs> of games, and it does not stop. Chapter three. Sorry, didn't didn't think of a fun pun for this one. You know what, and it guys? Was my favorite one of all. You know what, guys? Sometimes we're just not gonna have a pun ready to shoot. Uh, 
2017, several major titles have featured loot boxes, some of which are not even multiplayer games. Injustice 2, Lawbreakers, For Honor, Middle of... <laughs> Middle Earth. Middle of Earth? Shadow of Core. Middle of Honor. You don't get that because you don't know that it's called Shadow of, of War. War. Oh, oh, I get it. That was I a guess. good, that was a good oh, one. Thank you. I'm proud of you. I'm getting so quick these days, quick Liam. Wit. My body's getting slow, but my mind, sharp as a tack. Tom, tacks haven't been sharp for thousands of years. Well, and I've been dead for 40. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Loot boxes are everywhere. This has prompted some discussion about the nature and place of loot boxes in games culture. This is th there's been some real discourse on Twitter about this stuff. Wait, Twitter? Discourse? Oh god. Some of the criticism is like twitter.com? Well, in keeping with the theme of Twitter, a lot of some of this criticism is like stupid and unhelpful. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, on Twitter? A lot of people make follow us at twi on Twitter at a call your dad and at your Twitter handle Thomas Lockney. The, the, there are these people who make the imbalance argument that certain loot boxes contain premium, powerful items, so essentially make it the game pay to win. Um, but that doesn't really hit on the core issue because like loot boxes are bad. I, I I should make that very clear. I think that they are bad. Though, yes, the inclusion of loot boxes necessitates a game being designed to accommodate them, thereby like fundamentally altering the core structures of play. Loot boxes aren't a problem of balance. They're a problem of money. If a game is imbalanced, big fucking whoop, you know? We play it, it's not great, and we all go home. But the, the real problem with loot boxes is money. A surprising amount of people defend this practice from claiming that it is a necessary evil meant to combat the rising cost of development to denying the fact that loot boxes are, by definition, gambling. To the first point, yes, the cost of AAA game dev, and just generally game dev, has skyrocketed. It is, uh, it is on an unsustainable trajectory, and one day, the games industry is going to have to face fiscal reckoning. Fiscal reckoning is the worst Ayn Rand novel. However, oh god, loot boxes aren't a sustainable solution. The cost of game development has risen, the cost of hardware has risen, and what cost to purchase a game has remained pretty much the same for the last decade or two. People have less money to spend on games now. Wages have stagnated while the cost of food, housing, etc. in many areas have risen. 80% of the US is living paycheck to paycheck right now. Uh, similar problems can be found around the globe, and, and this doesn't even take into account that games are even more expensive in certain regions overseas. Like, it's it's crazy expensive to buy a game in, like, Australia. Oh, yeah. The issue is not that there aren't enough opportunities for consumers to give game companies their money. The issue is that we have no money to give. These are handcrafted to be as, like, euphoric as possible. From the, the drum roll, please, anticipatory sounds, animations, and slow reveal that takes place during a crate's opening to the artificial scarcity of certain items. I never noticed, but uh, the listeners are really missing out by not seeing your hands wonderfully move during this. I, I feel very passionate about yeah, this. the power. It's so, because it, hey, it's weird. It's weird that these digital commodities that can be produced infinitely are artificially rarefied so their values increased, thereby getting people to pay more for certain higher tier loot boxes. And that's, and that's, and ridiculous. And they're, they're digital. There's, there's not an issue of supply here. You, you create it 
once in a game, you create that asset. And then you have the, the ability to make infinite more if you please. Like, I, it, it, it's, it's so, so weird. We, I'm it's just, I'm so like, weird. It's not like there's like a, fa a, a, a fabric shortage in the universe of Team Fortress 2. Like certain hats are just rarer because Valve wants them to be worth more so that way people will pay them more money to get it. So this is this is gambling. That's that's what it is. There are websites dedicated to the opening of these boxes that say as much. Liam, you may remember a website by the name of CS Lotto from the first episode of this podcast. We both know I don't remember that. Nobody should listen to that episode. It's very but, bad. But the story within still stands. YouTubers that owned the site CS Lotto made videos promoting its services as a gambling outlet without disclosing their ownership. At the time of that recording, the story ended with these men facing consequences, but I'm sad to report as of today, there have been literally like none. Sylvester Stallone, on the other hand, still probably got that blowjob with the microphone on. There was almost nothing done. There was not even like a fine. The Federal Trade Commission simply told them, just disclose in the future. And I kind of fear how this uh, I fear that this will be how it goes in games as well. Probably. The institutions in power don't seem to mind that this is gambling. They certainly don't have any interest in regulating it. If a game has a loot box system in it, please don't, please don't do it. Like not only so that you can, you can make a statement to these companies that like these are bad and w will not work ultimately. It's also so that you don't lose your money perpetuating this awful predatory practice. It's all fake. It's all ones and zeros, man. It's a sleazy thing. I'll tell you, it ain't easy, though. <laughs> it ain't e easy being this sleazy. That was the first slogan they were doing for Cheetos. And then someone said, what are we doing? Are <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break to hear a commercial for a new podcast on the network. Maybe it's a new podcast or just a podcast. Who knows? That's half the fun. Hey, this is our loot crate. <laughs> Whoa. Art is dead. <laughs> Anyways, here's an ad. Hello, listener. Do you like a scare, a jump, a fright? How about Maine? How do you feel about Maine? If any of those words made your heart skip a beat, then I've got a podcast for you. King Me is a monthly Stephen King podcast where I, Tom Lockney, and a guest watch through a theatrical adaption of a work by everyone's favorite Northeastern author and talk about it with a little help from the source material. So, if you're feeling particularly brave, join me on my descent into terror on the Major Casts Network or wherever you find podcasts. Hey Liam, why don't you tell me a story? So IP is really fascinating to me. Yeah? Um, I recently got a job where I have to watch videos and keep track of certain IPs whether it's shirt logos or stock music or anything like that. And uh, like, you know, lots of stuff gets flagged. Lots of stuff can get you in trouble. YouTube has a whole really weird IP thing that's been going on for like the beginning of YouTube. YouTube, YouTube is a broken, awful company that has no idea what it's doing with its platform. Um, but one of my favorite, like really, sh this is a really short anecdote about IP. The movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit 
Fucking great movie, first of all. Yeah, it's so fun. Not all, only on that, but on a technical level. Really um, impressive. There's still shots in that movie that I think about where I'm like, how did they do that without these really vi- without really visible cuts? Um, there's a, a great Captain Christian video on how they made Roger Rabbit. I'd highly recommend watching it. But basically, they focused on eyeline, they focused on shadow, and they focused on mixing live-action practical effects with the animated special effects. But to me, the fucking craziest thing in that movie is that Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse appear on screen oh, and yeah. fucking talk to each other. Yeah, they, they exchange pleasantries. So one thing you have to understand, I've talked about this a little bit before, like way back in the day, but when Warner Brothers cartoons and Disney cartoons were being made, they had f- incredibly different ideologies, not only in their characters' ideologies, but just in everything. Disney was wholesome, family-based, very, like, innocent. Mickey Mouse represented all that. Warner Brothers was into, like, pop culture references and a lot of adult jokes. Daffy Duck being a fucking alcoholic. Yeah, just, like, people being fucking dicks. Weird. And and, and, I love Looney Tunes. I think it's better than Disney cartoons. And, And, you know, there are Looney Tunes characters and Disney characters throughout who framed Roger Rabbit, as well as a lot of original animated characters. But both companies were so... And Disney, like, was more behind the movie. And Warner Brothers was so fucking scared of, like, having Bugs Bunny uh, appear on screen. Weird. That they made a deal that Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny had to have the exact same screen time down to the millisecond. Weird. And they do. And it's literally, like, I think it's maybe less than 10 seconds. It's at the very end of the movie. It's two-thirds of the way when he goes into Toontown. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, He falls... And then they appear together at the end very briefly. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Very brief. But there's a scene where it's just the two of them and Bob Hoskins that talk. And it reminds me of one of the weirdest trades I've ever seen in both television and sports. So we're going to talk about Al Michaels for a little bit. Now, Al Michaels recently kind of got in a little bit of hot water. He's a sportscaster. Uh, is a sports commentator, and he's been working since 1977, mostly mm-hmm. doing uh, Monday Night Football. But he also called the Miracle on Ice. Oh. He called the Game 3 of the World Series when an earthquake happened in, I believe, 89. Look at you, Liam. You're a regular sporto. Uh, unfortunately, Al Michaels, so um, this was this kind of made it a little bit hard to research him, because uh, every time I typed him in, it was mostly about how he made a Harvey Weinstein joke recently. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Gonna take a quick note to mention that that story will not be happening on this podcast. Yeah. So, you know. Not absolutely not our story to tell at all. So in the early 2000s, Al Michaels is working at ABC and he's like, yeah, I guess it's okay, but I I miss my friend John Madden. He used to call sports with John Madden. We all miss. I miss my friend John Madden too. And he, there was some weird contract stuff going on. John, are you out there, buddy? I miss you. Come home, John. Come Uh, home to your family. And Al wanted to go to (laughs) NBC so that he could commentate with uh, John Madden. Yeah. But he, like, felt weird about asking. There was a lot of weird contract things going on because... So ESPN in 2005 gets the rights to Monday Night Football. This is really big because Monday Night Football is like a whole big thing. People, you can say the phrase Monday Night Football and people like me know what you're talking about. Exactly. And ESPN is owned by ABC. And do you know who owns ABC? Disney. Disney owns ABC. 
So Al Michaels is essentially working for Disney, and he's like, I don't know if I want to do, I want to go to NBC, I want to do Sunday Night Football, I want to hang out with John Madden. Um, so he goes to George Bodenheimer, the president of ESPN, and he says, hey man, I want to go to NBC. I, I, like, I, 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 is there something we can do to make that happen? And fucking Bodenheimer, Bodenheimer was like, yeah, sure. I'll oh. call up Bob Iger. Wow. Bob Iger was the then CEO of Disney. And he says, hey, listen, Al wants to, uh, he wants to jump ship to NBC. NBC. Like, is there any way that we can make that happen? And a couple of days, he leaves a message. And a couple of days later, Bob Iger says, George... I'd be willing to let Al Michaels go if you can get us the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit from NBC. And God Bo- and damn. And Bodenheimer thinks, and then he responds, what is Oswald the Lucky Rabbit? I've literally never heard of that Wait, before. Wait, really? I know why you've heard of Oswald the Lucky and Rabbit. And it's because of We're going to get into it. I have it, and we're going to get ri- into it. Uh, and then Bob Bobiger says, listen, you need to do some research and figure out who Oswald the Rabbit is figure out his importance to the company and if you can get nbc to trade oswald the rabbit so they so the trade went through yeah they traded al michaels for oswald the rabbit incredible so let's learn a little bit about oswald the rabbit that's weird that's like a prisoner exchange so in 1927 walt disney and uh oob iwerks who we've talked about before on the donald duck episode uh, that's his real name. His first name is Ubi, and that is the end of the name. <laughs> his, his name is the ending of boob. Basically. It's fun. So they're working at a place, uh, the a series called the Alice Comedy Series, and they're not really feeling like they can get super creative there. So at the same time, Universal Studios wants to get into the cartoon business. So Disney and Iwerks create a character to sell to them and they create this rabbit he's got white gloves he's got blue shorts well i mean at the time it was black and white so he had like white shorts but he's this rabbit he's got a very classic cartoon looking he's always eating a carrot and he'll sometimes turn to the screen and the or the camera or whatever and say wait what's going on physician physician what is happening with hey, you hey is there a doctor in the house aren't i the stinkiest <laughs> uh no that is bugs bunny um so Disney chose to make the character a rabbit because there were so many animated cats at the time, like Felix the Cat and Crazy Cat. Uh, Universal was given the right to name the rabbit, and they literally selected it out of and from a fucking hat. Cool. Fun. Um, the first Oswald cartoon is called Poor Papa, and it was rejected because it was crumbly made and a bummer. No, no. Uh, so I works in Disney... Uh, make a cartoon called Trolley Troubles. It's a much younger, cuter Oswald. It's a huge hit, and uh, it allows... Hi, I'm Oswald, and this time my dad doesn't die. <laughs> They're silent cartoons, unfortunately. Watch my TV show. So that it just cuts to a screen that says all of those words while a guy on the piano is playing way too fast. Yeah. And from the success, Disney was <laughs> able to grow his uh, staff and basically, you know, make a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, you know what? I want to make my own stuff. I don't want to work for anybody anymore. Um, I just want to be my own boss and make my own weird rabbit. And uh, the higher-ups were, were kind of hinting that they weren't going to renew his contract anyways. So in 28, Disney traveled to New York, and his producer, Charles Muntz, was like, we want you to take a 20% pay cut. And he was like, nah, I'm just going to quit. 
and he took basically all of his animators and on the train ride home he's like they're gonna steal the the rights to oswald i need to create a character really quickly that i can make that i can sell cats too much rabbits too much i'll make a mouse he draws mickey mouse Mickey Mouse's first short, Steamboat Willie, is released in the fall of 28. Literally, he comes up with the idea in the spring. Disney took off. And then Oswald just plummets. Disappeared. Well, the thing about Oswald is that... um, It's a great story. That's such an interesting little bit of history. So he hung in there as best he could. It was so crazy, but the... um, Disney and Universal each made nine cartoons the first year of Mickey Mouse coming out. So there were nine Mickey cartoons going up against nine Oswald cartoons, and then 17 of each the next year, which is such a crazy coincidence. There were 142 Oswald cartoons for uh, produced after Mickey Mouse became a thing, for so there was a 194 total. But the thing is, is that they kept changing how Oswald looked. The thing about Mickey for, the, for a lot of those first year, he only changes the look about like three times. Oswald. I'm Oswald. This time I've got on Jinko jeans. Exactly. Like he's he's not consistent, and it doesn't. You can't sell a property like that without consistency. He now also, I look like I got dressed by RuPaul, and I'm <laughs> loving it. He also went through a ton of crazy voice actors, like just crazy good voice actors. I'm Oswald the sexy rabbit, <laughs> including Pinto Colvig, who was the original Goofy. Yeah. Mel Blanc and June Foray, who voiced together every single Looney Tunes character that's ever been made. And John Hamm, not a lot of people know that. And Mickey Rooney. Oh, okay. So, so, so in fucking 1935. Yeah, he so, was, yeah. I've, I've seen clips from Eight and a Half Weeks. Mickey Rourke, a Rooney. <laughs> Never mind. Eight and a Half Weeks is a Felina Nine and film. a Half Weeks. With Mickey Rourke, he's very handsome. Mickey Rourke or Mickey Rooney? No, Mickey Rourke. Yeah, it's not Mickey Rooney. Sorry, I was thinking that Mickey Rooney was Mickey Rourke for you some reason. You were all everybody. sorts of wrong with Sometimes that. Sometimes you were I'm... talking about a Fellini movie. You meant you got your Mickey's confused. Sometimes, sometimes my wires get crossed, gang. It happens. Oh man, I'm only human. So, uh, and half lobster. Not all a lot of a people sudden, know that. Do you, you so you know what Oswald looks like because you've seen the video game, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. They've changed his look so much that the last Oswald thing I could find was in a comic book. Oswald was a brown rabbit with bright blue eyes and a pink nose and like just didn't look like Weird. Does not look like different. the Oswald that I know. Yeah, Al My uh, that you can thank Al Michaels and his wanting to hang out with John Madden. The deal included the rights to the character, the original twenty six short films that were made by Disney. So that got back to Disney. The reason that Bob Iger was interested in getting Oswald back was that they were going to design a video game, and that was going to be Epic Mickey. Is he in the first Epic Mickey? Yeah, I well, think so. He's the villain. There you go. The The entire premise of Epic Mickey is that Oswald is like, I got fucked over. I'm mad at Mickey. And so he just like fucks up Mickey's shit. Bob Iger, who quote from him? Having Oswald around again is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a fucking cartoon. It's very cute. That's very cute. Around the same time, Kansas City Chiefs and New York Jets made made a similar deal. The Chiefs giving the Jets a draft pick as compensation for releasing Coach Herm Edwards from his contract. And referring to that trade, Al Michaels said, well, Oswald is definitely worth more than a fourth-round draft choice. I'm going to be a <laughs> trivia answer someday. Holy shit. 
Um, Go for the jugular, why don't you? And then once they got Oswald, they started making Oswald t-shirts, releasing the DVDs, releasing the classics. He's in Epic Mickey. Uh, he's like uh, uh, he's in the sequel, Epic Mickey 2. At the California uh, Disneyland, you can even get Oswald ears, which are basically the Mickey hats, but for Oswald's ears. They threw a goddamn parade when they got Oswald back. He doesn't exist. He's not real. He's a drawing. A drawing that most of the people who worked at Disney at that time, I guarantee you, have never seen or been connected to. Because no one knew who Oswald was because he hadn't been a thing since the 50s. Why do you think that guy wanted to hang out with John Madden? Because John Madden, because they're both sports commentators. Because John Madden is secretly... His father, John Madden, doesn't They're know like the it, same age. and he really wants to spend time with his dad. I'm sticking to this. Some animators and archivists—is that how you? Archivists. Archivists. Um, they found Oob Iwerks sketchbook drawings and made a cartoon out of the original Oswald drawings. That's um, really cool. So Oswald lives on, and he's the bad guy in Epic Mickey Two. Or one, no, I believe. One. One. And then he's like, I "Now I'm he, good." Yeah. I don't, wonder... remember, I don't remember what happened in Epic Mickey 2. Sorry, guys. I don't know what happened in Epic Mickey 2. Epic Mickey 1. Cool idea. Not that great of a video game. So to me, he's the Oswald is the most wascally wabbit of them all. Mm. Not really. It's Bugs Bunny. Really makes you think. Well, I'd like to think Just like that... Blade Runner 2049. Um, Oswald Ra- the Lucky Rabbit is Blade Runner 2049. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well. Garfield think... is anime. Anyways, we should probably stop uh, this podcast before you say something worse than Garfield is anime. That's a pixelated book joke, anyways. At the end of every episode, we like to polish things off with the self-care corner where to balance out some of the kind of bummer stuff we talk about in this show. Uh, We talk about something good or nice that happened in our weeks and our lives. And I'll start off. I'm ready to go when I totally lost it. I'll start off then. I got to see Blade Runner 2049 for free because I work at a movie theater. You do. Yeah, I do. And so I get free movies. So me and a friend of mine, me and a friend of mine went to see Blade Runner 2049. And it's an interesting, flawed movie. And I really, really liked it for that. It was, I, I, I didn't regret it. It's exactly about, it's about as long as it needs to be. There's like one or two scenes that could be trimmed. But like, frankly, I don't think the runtime is an issue. It's a great film and you should see it if you can. Here's my self-care corner. I'm seeing Open Mic Eagle on Wednesday. I'm fucking super excited. If you don't know who that is, go listen to his music. Have a great time. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody, to another episode of Media Majors. If you enjoy the podcast leave oh, oh, us oh, oh, a rating oh, wait, or review wait, 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 on wait, itunes wait 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 it's time for a segment that we rarely do because if i remember correctly we got a new follower on our twitter <laughs> and i hold on and I'd like you to look who it is because oh, I thought you going to like it. And I saved it for this moment so I could kind of prank you with kindness. Oh, that's awesome. You you know who you are, Maddie. What's up? Maddie's the friend that I saw Blade Runner 2049 with. Addendum to my thing. See it with a friend because that way you can talk to them about the movie afterwards because it's a movie that you'll want to talk about. Shout out. Yo, what's up, Maddie? Uh. <laughs>
Sorry, you have to listen to our girls' podcast now because you because you accidentally made the mistake of becoming friends with me. You fool. Alrighty. Do you have anything to plug, Tom? Perhaps a project coming out in 11 days? Oh, shit. That's right. I'm doing a new podcast on the network called King Me. It is a Stephen King podcast monthly where... Your goal is to get Stephen King on the podcast. Oh, man. That would be fun. I would love to talk to him. Uh, But me uh, and a guest... We'll be watching through a theatrical adaption of a Stephen King work. There will be a little help from the source material. However, guests and listeners are not required to read the book. Homework from a podcast? No, thank you. I just give myself homework because I don't like having fun or just like enjoying things. Nah, reading's the best. The first episode's going to be about the original Carrie, uh, past guest and current roommate Jane will be on the very first episode and it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy. I've I've cut together a trailer for it and everything and I get to do like a spooky voice. It's yeah, so the, fun. the trailer will probably be on this episode. Ooh, yeah, you can so listen to this it. This will all be edited out. So say whatever you want. Reveal your deepest and darkest secret. Uh my secret identity is Bruce I'm Wayne. Batman. Oh, I knew it. We were we were in the same place, but we were coming at it from different angles. And that's what I like about you and me, Liam, is we just come at things from different angles. Martha's your mom's name too. We need to stop recording the podcast now. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Media Majors Cast. Email us if you've got something to say. Media Majors Podcast at gmail.com. And remember, we love you and we'll be there for you. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.